Well, ladies, I do hope that is the prayer of our hearts and that it's going to be just the prayer that reverberates throughout the weekend of our hearts. So I need more hands here. Ever felt like that? <laughs> we don't have enough hands, but I know God gave us the amount that we need, so we'll work it out, right? We will work it out. So we've gotten off to a good start. I appreciate you guys leading in worship. Thanks so much. Um, just going to have some rich times in worship tonight. We had a really good dinner. Big thank you to our cooks. They work so hard. And I want you to know... Everyone on the team except for me is a volunteer, okay? And so they give up their time. Like, they take off of work. They have to arrange childcare for their kids to come for a whole week to serve you. And that's what they do here. That doesn't even count all the planning ahead of time. So just know that you're being loved in that way through service. And I did want to mention um, with our cooks, some of you may not realize, but Mackenzie, who's one of our cooks, she is my daughter. And so uh, we actually have two Mackenzies here this, this year, but Mackenzie, the cook, is my daughter. Mackenzie, um, the other one, is Jody Rhodes' daughter. We have a lot of mom daughters here this weekend, which I love as well. But I also, this year, have my new daughter, Stephanie, here. She married my son in April, so that's great. And her mom, Sandy, is here too. So for me, this is like family weekend, and I love it. I just love it. And really for all of us it is, right? You look around. These are our sisters in Christ, and we are family in a big beach house. If you've ever wanted to go to a big beach house with your family, here you are. Here you are, okay? So, so we had a family dinner. We had that blessed time and worship, and I'm excited to get into God's Word together again tonight. This is the only night that we're going to have two sessions, okay? I just want you to know that. But if you want to get that note sheet out in your folder, if you want to be a note taker there, um, that'll be great. And earlier, as you're getting that out, let me just remind you, earlier we tried our best to bring some definition to the word glory. And we discussed that God reveals, or he puts on display, something that is true with great distinction, and it deeply impacts us and draws out a response. That's what glory is, all right? That's the way we're going to define it this weekend. And I feel like God has really uh, deposited that for the time that we're going to have here together. So you think about those pictures that you sent of the most glorious thing that you had ever seen, or maybe one of the most glorious things, all right? Sometimes it's hard to choose, that was put on display in front of you. We saw pictures of sunrises and sunsets and northern lights, uh, a baby being born, a marriage happening, somebody even sending pizza, right? There's some glory. <laughs> right? It's truly good. And when you put it in front of me, it deeply impacts me. So I get that. I get that. And it draws out a response. I want to eat it, right? So I do like pizza. We're not having pizza this weekend, but I do like that. But anyway, I imagine as you saw those things like displayed in front of you with distinction that they impacted you. So much so that part of your response was when you were asked the question, what is the most glorious thing you've ever seen? You thought, Oh, I'll send this picture in, all right? Now, we did have one person who kind of quickly went through the email, and she didn't really read the whole thing, and she sent in a picture of herself. <laughs> and, and we loved it. It was great. It was great. And we've already joked about that a little bit. And then she went back and read it, and was like, oh, no, they're going to think I think I'm the most glorious thing ever, right? There's a little bit of laughter with that, right? Because 
Sometimes we do, and I'm not saying you did, and I'm not even gonna tell who it is. But anyway, sometimes we do think we're the most beautiful thing that ever hit the planet. I don't know, maybe we do, maybe we don't, whatever. But whatever your picture was, I imagine that it caused you to pause, right? You got lost in the moment. You took it all in, whatever it was, from pizza to you know the glorious sunset. But, but you took a picture of it. You had a picture of it, right? And why did you do that? Because you wanted to talk about it. You wanted to share it with somebody. You wanted to remember it. And that's what things of glory do. They impact us. I know for me, my picture was of a sunrise that was really, really special. Actually, somebody else in this room, Kim Mooring, took the picture several years ago. But I've seen many glorious sunrises and sunsets. And when I do, I personally get lost in them. I literally get lost in them. I bask in them. And in that moment, they take over everything um, in my sight, in my attention. I don't really see anything else. I've also seen waterfalls. I love waterfalls. I'm gonna, before we leave here, I'm getting in that pool and I'm gonna let that water come down on my head because I just think there's something really glorious about that. But I love waterfalls. One of my favorite places in the world is Duns River Falls in Jamaica, if you've ever seen that. It's an amazing waterfall. First time I ever saw it, I, I just couldn't like stop staring at it. I just thought it was incredible. The point is, things of glory cause us to pause. They draw our attention. They impact us. They can sometimes cause an almost stunning effect. When we first began Fall Bible Getaway eight years ago, our staff has grown so much now for it, but at the beginning, it was, it was me and Nicole, and we were like going, we're going to do this thing, and we were like, we had no idea what we were getting into. But we would go on these walks in the morning that were really special to us as friends. I mean, of course, it's, you know, you're getting in your exercise, your cardio and all that, and we'd have friend time and prayer time together. But most important to us on these walks was sunrise time. So early in the morning, while it was still dark, we would slip out of the house and we would walk together. And we would tell stories and we would talk, we would share burdens, you know, all the things that girlfriends do when, when, when they're together. But we were also very aware of what time that day the sun was supposed to rise. And when that time started drawing near, we would turn off of the beach road and head toward the shoreline because we wanted to see the sunrise. And always, without fail, when the sun would start to peek through, many times before it even rose, but you know how it starts showing those little beams and they cast that light across the sky and it's all different colors, but we would just stop. Didn't matter if I was telling a really important story, didn't matter if we were in the middle of you know, sharing a burden or whatever, the sunrise took over and we stopped and we would stare and we would gaze at that sunrise. We encountered something displayed in front of us and all talking ceased because there was something holy and precious about that moment that deeply impacted us and it demanded our attention. It was glorious. And ladies, I want us to get a hold of this dynamic, okay? Because that's the dynamic that we're talking about with Christ. We want to have that kind of response to Jesus. We want to see his glory so much that it gets our attention. There should be an almost stunning effect that, that does something on the inside of me. You know, Jesus, actually, one of his names in Scripture is the sunrise from on high. It's one of my favorite names for Jesus. And it is because he is truly the light of the world. 
John Piper uh, said this about Jesus. He said, the son of God's glory was made to shine at the center of the solar system of our soul. Let me say that again. The son, meaning Jesus, of God's glory was made to shine at the center of the solar system of our soul. See, when a glorious sunrise stops us in our tracks, we may not realize it, but it's actually a glimpse of Jesus. In fact, in the book of Revelation, we're told that when all is redeemed and we are in heaven, there's not even going to be a need for the sun or the moon or the stars. You know why? Because Jesus truly is the light of the world and he will light the place up. So let me ask you, when is the last time you saw something in Jesus that affected you like what we've just been talking about, that made you pause, that made you catch your breath and just take it all in? And that question, it might kind of sound like the question I asked you before dinner. Like, when's the last time you saw something in Jesus that took your breath away? Something about Jesus, you saw it. Doesn't matter necessarily where you saw it, but you saw it. And it was the truth of who he was. And it drew you in like a magnet. Caused you to pause, to be changed, to worship, to, to make specific intention to remember, to say to yourself, I can't wait to tell so-and-so about this, right? Can I just say and follow up to what I mentioned during our first gathering, I think we have far too often just domesticated Jesus and Americanized Jesus and culturized Jesus into just being like a friend, a personal friend. And in doing so, he is a friend, but that's not all he is. That's just one beam of his glory. So in doing so, what we have done is we have missed the radiance. Hear the word of the Lord tonight and throughout this weekend. Jesus is the brilliant. He's the splendor of the glory of God. As I say those things about us and what we've done sometimes, I want to encourage you, do not take that with any kind of guilt. Like, don't swallow that with a teaspoon of guilt because there's none intended with that at all, all right? That statement is heaping full of care and concern for our greatest purpose. You know what your greatest purpose is? To enjoy the glory of God. That's what you were created for, to enjoy the glory of God. And if we have missed, and probably all of us have, so let's just say when we have missed the glory of Jesus in the past, it could be for a variety of reasons, but you know what? They're not going to get our focus here right now. They're not going to get our focus. We're not going to spend a lot of time this weekend trying to figure out Oh, why, why do I do that? Or, or why do I think that way? Or all those kinds of things. You know why we're not going to do that? Because that would be more gazing at ourselves, right? We don't need that. We don't need to look at more of us and exchange the glory of God for the lie that says we are so, so glorious, right? We want to behold his glory. And just like a glorious sunrise or a beautiful waterfall would stop me in my tracks and take over my conversations of talking about myself, Jesus, in all his glory right now, right here, this weekend, can do that very same thing. He can take over the moment. He can take over me. And I'm praying that he will. And I'm praying that he's going to take over you. He can do that. And his glory will become the thing that heals us. See, we think we've got to get healed to be with Jesus. No, he says, let my glory shine on you, and I will heal you. 
So in that spirit, let's turn back to that focus passage in Hebrews chapter 1, okay? As I shared before, those first four verses are going to paint the backdrop of what God's going to show us this weekend. So we want to be really familiar with them. Those of you who have been at Fall Bible Getaway before, you know that we highly value scripture memorization. So every year at Fall Bible Getaway, we intentionally memorize a passage together. Now, should that word really make you nervous, okay, or scare you or already say, oh, I can't memorize, okay? Just get that out of your mind, all right? I can tell you through the years, we have had many nervous memorizers, and they have done really great at Fall Bible Getaway, okay? They've joined in, they've had success. And I personally believe everyone can memorize. We've all been given a memorization muscle, just like any other muscle we got. We gotta exercise it, right, for it to be in good shape. And the really helpful thing about this is we're gonna do this collectively together. And so we're gonna all exercise our memorization muscles together. And we're gonna pace ourselves through the weekend uh, using these special cards. So I have them right here. I'm gonna get them out. And let's see, Nicole is gonna pull some this way. Tammy's got some, where is Tammy? For the back of the room. And I'm gonna start these right here. So these memorization cards, we're actually giving you two this year. We're actually giving you two. Don't take two. You have a little one already in your folder. You might have seen it when you open the folder right there in that little insert. That's a small version for easy reference. You'll notice this one we're handing you is laminated. And there's a really important reason for that. That means you can take it to the pool. You can take it to the beach. You can take it in the shower and memorize God's word, okay? So you can have that for, uh, for reference. So hopefully everybody gets one. Make sure that we all get one and they get handled, handed out. But you can see there's some color coding there. And we're going to use that color coding to help pace us through the weekend. So tonight, we want to memorize that first line. It's pink. And it says what? And he is the radiance of his glory. Let's say that several times. And he is the radiance of his glory. Once more. And he is the radiance of his glory. Now, one of the things we're going to do to help us with that memorization is we're going to also copy these lines. So you've got that journal, okay? We're going to use that journal for several things this weekend. One of them is copying some of the Word of God. We'll do it with this part of the passage. We're going to do some other things too. So I would encourage you just get that journal out, open it to the first page, and write that line, okay? And he is the radiance of his glory. radiance of his glory. And to begin that conversation, I want to take you to a moment in scripture that you've probably read about before. It's a moment when Jesus was on the earth, but he put the radiance of God's glory on display like no other time in front of some people. So if you want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 17, okay? Matt, as you go there, I'll just kind of get us set up here. 
Matthew is one of four of the Gospels, the, the books in the New Testament that really uh, tell the most about Jesus. And these books are our best place to really get our most detailed information of him. So when you land in Matthew 17, we can see that Jesus has already been in public ministry for about two years at this time. And because we know that his earthly ministry started about at the age of 30, well, 30 plus 2 would be 32 years. So that tells us that he has been on the earth for about 32 years, being the messenger sent from God who is revealing his glory. Remember, that's what Hebrews 1 told us God sent him to do. So think with me for a moment about things that would have preceded this moment in Matthew 17. Let's start at his birth, all right? Jesus' birth had the glory of God all over it. In his birth, we get to see the wisdom of God, the perfect timing of God, the creativity of God, the power, the authority, the protection, the mercy, the kindness, his plan to save the world and more. I mean, there was glory all over the birth of God and he was just a baby, couldn't even speak, right? And he's already just emanating the brilliance, the splendor of God. God's glory was also revealed at Jesus' baptism. In his baptism, we see the glory of righteousness and his father's heart, the glory of the father God's heart as he blessed his son. We see God's glory too when Jesus was tempted, the glory of his knowledge, his purity, his transcendence, his holiness. We see it when he preached the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus preached as God's messenger and he put God's nature on public display in front of so many people who had turned the truths of what God thinks into all these other laws and things like that. And Jesus just came in and dismantled all of that. So the point is this, before we ever even get to this moment where God's glory is gonna just light up the mountain, Jesus has been doing exactly what Hebrews 1 tells us that God set him to do, all right? So it's very important that we see that. And we could go on and on, looking through moment after moment of Jesus' life, every movement, miracle, interaction, relationship, conversation. He is emanating the glory of God because that's what God sent him to do. The Gospels bring to life what we read in Hebrews 1, that God spoke through Jesus. He's a messenger. Every story about Jesus. Think through the stories that you know that Debbie was talking about that she learned on the flannel graph when she was a little girl. I did. I had flannel graphs too and for you younger ones you don't know what that is, ask us later, alright? But I mean just think through all the stories that you know of Jesus. Every one of them is like a beam of God's glory shouting out, this is the truth of who I am. This is what I like. It's being put on display in front of us. The distinction of what God thinks, we see it in Jesus, what God cares about, how he acts, how he feels, all of that is seen in Jesus. The glory of God all over the Gospels through the person of Christ. In the glory of God all over the Gospels through the person of Christ, the true nature of God is put on public display because Jesus is so very different. He's so distinct. And you know what happened because of that? It impacted people. And that draws a lot of attention. 
That's what glory does. It draws attention. So in the Gospels, what do you see? All the time, the crowds are constantly seeking out Jesus in masses because they're seeing this person who's a person, but he does things that only God could do. He says things and knows things that only God could. And so people stop and stare and listen and pause. They, they're talking about what they see in Jesus because the glory of God is having that kind of deep impact. Now we say all that to say when you land in Matthew 17, you need to understand Jesus has already been doing the thing from Hebrews chapter 1, right? It's not like this is going to be the moment where he goes, here's my glory guys, let's everybody see. He's been doing it all along. For centuries God had been speaking through people and fathers and prophets, but it wasn't enough. We needed more. We needed to really see Jesus. So God sent him to radiate his glory, and he did. So now, though, when we land in Matthew 17, we're going to see him take it to a whole nother level. And we're going to see he doesn't reveal his glory to a crowd, but he reveals it just to a few people. And as we look at this, what I believe is going to happen is that we're going to be challenged, and we're going to be inspired to be a person who wants to see more. All right, that God wants to reveal. So when we get to Matthew 17, keeping that in mind, but also realizing you can read about this same thing in the book of Mark and the book of Luke, but tonight we're going to read it in Matthew. So let me read for you, starting in verse 1. And six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and he brought them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces, and they were much afraid. And Jesus came to them, and he touched them, and he said, Arise, and do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. So, what just happened in this scene? Something really incredible. Jesus shows these three who he really was, that he was eternal, that he was divine, that he was holy, that he's light of the world, Messiah. I mean, talk about radiance, right? In fact, I want us to pause right now and get your journals right back out, so hopefully you've got them right there. And I want you to copy verse two. You can just copy out of the version that you're, you've got there. Matthew 17, verse two. We'll copy that as well.
could just finish that up if you are, or just join back in. We read, and you, you just wrote down, or you're finishing writing, that Jesus literally transformed right before their eyes. They saw his face shine like the sun, and his garments got so white. Let's think about these for a minute, his face shining like the sun. The Bible teaches us that God was fully man and fully God. And maybe we don't really get all that means. We're actually going to talk about that some more tomorrow morning. But we know it at least intellectually now from Scripture. But back then, the disciples and everyone else, they're still trying to figure out who this Jesus is. Before Jesus' resurrection, Peter was the only one who had really declared Jesus to be the Christ. And even then, he was like, seemed to kind of go back and forth on that, right? But in this moment for these three, Jesus settled the question. His face was shining like the sun, and that revealed that he was divine, that he wasn't just a man, that he was spirit, that he was full of the glory of heaven. But what about his garments becoming white as light? I actually love the way it describes it in the book of Mark. It says that his garments were radiant and exceedingly white. And then it says this, as no launderer on earth could ever get them, okay? What in the world, right? But exactly, Jesus was in the world, but the sin of the world had not soiled him. He was pure, he was spotless, he was holy, and his garments revealed that. And don't miss that word radiant that Mark used. It's the very same word we see in Hebrews 1. See, in this moment, the radiance of Jesus was put on display right in front of them, and it revealed the truth of who Jesus was. His face shone like the sun. He's God, but he was dressed like a man in garments, but his garments were whiter than any man would be able to get them, which meant that Jesus was distinctly holy. Again, distinct, high and above all others. Now, these disciples... They had already been walking and doing life with Jesus for two years. So they had had a front row seat to see the public display of Jesus' glory. I mean, having traveled around with him, think about the stories that you know. They had seen the miracles. They ate, um, you know, the, the, um, the bread that he multiplied and the fish that he multiplied. They saw him, you know, raise Lazarus from the dead. They, 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 Peter even walked on water. I mean, just think through all the things. So they had seen the glory of God probably more than we will ever even see, right? And yet Jesus still had more to reveal to them. And he wanted them to see it. And I don't know about you, but this is so inspiring and challenging to me because I have been around the Lord for most of my life. So I feel like I've seen a lot from God. I mean, and he's done some pretty, pretty glorious things, I think. I mean, and I've been in church. I went to Bible college. I, I study my Bible. I pray. I worship. But you know what? I haven't had a front row seat to the level of glory that these guys had. And I'm pretty certain you haven't either. And yet they still had more to see. So what does that tell us? There's a whole lot more to see of Jesus than maybe we think is there. All right. As we get this weekend started, I think there are some things in this scene that can really challenge us and set us up to be able to um, really see the glory of Jesus and position ourselves well. See, if we want to see more of Jesus' glory, the first thing is we got to get close. Get close. It's very interesting to me that Jesus only took three 
of the 12 disciples up on the mountain with him. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. Why didn't he take all of them, right? Actually, he had a lot of followers. Uh, there were 12 who were the closest to him, his disciples. But even within that 12, we know that these three, Peter, James, John, were the closest. And even within that group of three, there was one who was the favorite, and that was John, all right? Now, we might not really like that, because that sounds like some of the disciples were more special to Jesus than others. And it sounds like preferential treatment, and that could be so. And if it is, you know what? Jesus can do that if he wants to do that. Who are we to say anything about it, right? He can pick who he wants to pick. But this is my personal belief. He chose Peter, James, and John because they were close. They were the three that were the most invested in following him. The three that were the most engaged in what he was doing. The three that were the most interested when he was teaching. The most willing to draw near. See, I think he could have taken two people up on the mountain with him, or four, or five, or 12, or maybe more. But he took three because these three were close. And if we want to see more of Jesus' glory than you've seen before, we have to be a person who draws close. Now, we don't have to be the only one. It's not a competition. There's a lot of room up on top of the mountain. But we do need to make sure that we are someone who is drawing near. It is my opinion, and I want to make sure that that's clear, okay? This is my opinion. He didn't only take three because he only had room for a, three pe for a few people on the mountain. I think he took three because these three were the ones who had room for him. Each one of the disciples had made a decision to follow Jesus. He, he at different times, we can read about it, and he called them and he said, follow me. And they each made that decision to follow. And we tend to think of them as doing that as a group, and, and they did. But we can't forget that they were still individuals, right? Individuals that had personal desires, dreams, personal distractions, personal discouragements, personal distresses. They were real people. And with 12 real people, you have to know that some of the 12 were more invested than the others. I mean, perhaps some of them were still thinking about what they left behind in their old life or they were deterred by the new things they were finding now that they're getting out and seeing the world oh they've got this in this village i never saw that in my village right and so you know they're kind of running off and doing their own thing who knows i mean we definitely know that judas one of the 12 was not really invested in what jesus mission was right he was seeking his own mission and wanting jesus to come along and support it see jesus sees hearts he knew who was close he knew who really was ready and wanted to see his glory. And I know that tonight he can look into my heart and he can look into every heart here and see what our real desires are. Do we really desire to get near to him and to get close? So if you want to see more of his glory, that would be the first thing from this scene. Get close. But what else? Say yes. Say yes. See, if we want to see more of God's glory, we have to be willing to say yes when he asks us to go. The passage says that in verse 1, you can see it, it says that Jesus took them. But I don't think that means he forced them, okay? I think it means he invited them. Hey, you want to come along? And they said yes. We don't know. Maybe he invited a bunch of them to go. 
Maybe some of the others were close, but when he invited them up on the mountain, they chose not to attend. We, we don't know those details, but we do know that Peter, James, and John all willingly walked up the mountain with Jesus. He didn't push them up the mountain. He didn't force them up the mountain or anything like that. They went when he asked them to go. And I don't think they had any clue what was coming. Do you? I mean, I don't think they, they had a clue. It doesn't appear that Jesus said, hey, come with me up on this mountain, and I'm going to transfigure myself before you. And guess what? You're going to get to meet Moses, and you're going to get to meet Elijah, and you're going to get to see my glory. I mean, if he had said that, there would have been a whole big old crowd up on the top of that mountain. It just looks like he said, hey, come with me. And they said, right here, yes. Here's the thing. When Jesus asks us to go, what should our answer be? Yes. If you want to see his glory, if you really want to see more. And the thing is, his glory shows up in the craziest of places, in the most unique of times. And we probably all have stories about that. Many times we don't expect to see his glory, and we do. But if we're willing to go whenever he asks, then we're setting ourselves up to see whenever he does reveal. I can think back to some of the times in my life where he invited and I was so resistant. Do you ever have that sense of resistance in you? But I'm learning when he invites, I need to say yes. I need to be willing to go. And I wanna share this real life moment to kind of put you know, real life to this because we can sit in this room and go, yeah, I'm gonna be a girl who says yes. And I hope you are saying that, and I'm saying that too. But let's put this into real life. Let me tell you the story of something that happened to me this past year. And one of the places Jesus invited me to go, and it was a really high mountain. It was the mountain of forgiveness. But I didn't want to go up that mountain. I'm his follower, I love Jesus, I'm serving him in lots of ways, and I was drawing close to him in lots of ways. But when he asked me to go up that mountain, I was very resistant because I thought that is too hard for me. Thankfully, and I think Jesus does this, he's so merciful, that's part of his glory as well, he will ask again, right? And he will be persistent. And I finally said yes. And I'm not gonna lie, it was a hard climb and there were a lot of challenges along the way, but we finally got to the top and I can tell you, I've seen the glory of Jesus in multiplied ways up on top of that mountain of forgiveness. Nothing has changed in the circumstances of the situation. In fact, more hurt has come my way, but because I went, the glory of God, things like his mercy, his kindness, his grace, a knowledge of who he is, his forgiveness, his patience, his forgiveness of me, his understanding, his truth, his wisdom. I've seen these things with greater distinction, more clarity, more experience personally in my life than I have before with new depth, greater understanding, greater richness, all because what? I said yes, and I went along. You know, as we draw close to Jesus, I totally believe he's going to extend invitations. He wants to be with us. Maybe he'll invite us to go into glorious places like contentment or purity or discipline, forgiveness, hope, joy, sacrifice. Sometimes, and he's given me this invitation multiple times in my life, he invites us into suffering, patience, 
perseverance, kindness, generosity. Are we willing to say yes for those invitations? If we want to see more of his glory, we should always say yes. And I want you to know, lest I paint the wrong picture, I don't always say yes, okay? I don't. But when I do, I can tell you this, I always see more. See, remember Hebrews 1, God sent Jesus as his messenger. Why? To reveal the glory of God. So we draw close to Jesus and then we decide to say yes to him. What we're doing is positioning ourselves in front of him. When he wants to show us, we are there and we're ready. We're on the front row. It's like living a life on the lookout, right? We can have some really tough stuff happen in our lives. And I imagine as we share stories and things like that this weekend, I mean, we've all had stuff. But you know what? The glory of God often is right there in the middle of that stuff. If we will allow and say yes to Jesus for, to, to go with him. God wants to be known. The Bible is full of words describing how visible, how displayed he makes his glory. You've probably heard this before. The Bible says the heavens are telling the what? The glory of God. In another place it says the earth is full of the glory of God. These waves tell a story about our God. The sun tells a story about our God. The way of the, um, of the seasons tells a story about our God. The earth is literally screaming the glory of God. We have to be women on the lookout and willing to say yes when he asks us to go. Jesus is the best messenger of God's glory. And he took Peter, James, and John up on the mountain because he wanted them to see. And if we can really get that in our hearts, God wants us to see his glory. It's not like he's hiding it. It's not like he's saying, oh, come in, you know, I'll, I'll maybe show you. I'll play this game with you and, and, and put you in a really hard situation and then I'm going to trick you, you know. And we, we get into these mindset of things. God wants us to see. And so if we can get that understanding in our hearts, then we will draw close and we will say yes. But we have to understand we're not in control of when that's going to happen. We can't schedule those moments and we can't prescribe them and manufacture them. Like you can't say, okay, God, every morning I'm going to have a quiet time with you and I'm going to give you 20 minutes to show me your glory, right? <laughs> or God, I'm going to church every week now, one hour, Lord. I got my eyes wide open, and I want you to show me your glory. Or even this one, God, I'm going to this amazing retreat called the Full Bible Getaway, and I want you to show me your glory. Now, I want you to know, I am fully expectant. He is going to show us his glory this weekend, and I believe that the discipline of having a quiet time with the Lord every day and being in church is absolutely just so important. Put yourself in those places. God called us into those places. But what we have to realize, we just keep positioning ourselves all the time, drawing close, always saying yes, just being expectant. If we want that glory, if we really want to see it, then it gets into the nitty gritty of that answer and that answer being yes. So what about when we do see it? Okay. When we do see it, when that truth of Jesus is put on display in front of us in one way or another, when we get that front row seat to those distinct qualities of, of Jesus that really impact us, how do we then respond? Right? 
Well, there's a lot in this scene to see about the response as well. So let's regroup for just a minute and make sure we remember, because we've talked about a lot, um, what Peter, James, and John saw, because it was pretty intense. So let's remember these three things. First, they saw Jesus. That's the most important, right? They saw him shining like the sun, and his, his garments just as white as anything they had ever seen before, all right? And then Moses, they saw Moses, and they saw Elijah standing there talking to him. Now, keep this in mind. Peter, James, and John, they're all Jewish boys grown up now to be men. That means they had grown up in a culture where Moses and Elijah would have been the two greatest prophets ever. See, Moses and Elijah would be in that group of Old Testament prophets that Hebrews 1 talked about, right? The ones that God spoke through in the old times, but now he's doing something different. And interesting to note about Moses and Elijah, they're the only two prophets in the Old Testament who didn't really die a normal death. So no one really ever knew exactly what happened to them. I mean, we read about it now in Scripture. But for Moses, if you don't realize this, he died up on a mountain. He was alone. The Bible says that God buried his bones, so nobody knew. It was kind of like he went up on the mountain and he never came back, okay? So nobody knew where his bones were or what had happened to him. And Elijah, well, heaven came and brought a fiery chariot and just took him off to heaven, okay? So they got some pretty crazy stories uh, about their lives. And for all their lives, Peter, James, and John have heard of these two great prophets. I mean, they got the prophet status thing, okay, in the Jewish culture. And now, right here in front of them, they're seeing something distinctly different than they've ever seen before. Jesus is lit up like the sun, standing right in front of them, and he's talking with these people, Moses and Elijah. And you better believe it deeply impacted these Jewish men, right? So how do they respond? Well, we actually see three responses, at least I do, and I'm gonna share them with you all right here in this moment. So let's look at the first one, and I'm gonna call it this, a self-focused response. Let's read the response again in verse four. Peter answered, and he said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Let's talk about how self-focused this is. First of all, here they are looking at Jesus in supernatural, heavenly form, really seeing him as God for the first time. And the response is, Jesus, let us take care of you and let us help you. Where is the focus? It's not on Jesus. Now, it was good that they wanted to serve him. But again, look at the scene. He is taking this amazing revelation of the glory of Jesus' divinity and reducing it down to, what's my part in this? How does this apply to my life? Ever done that? And actually, in the book of Luke, we find this detail. Luke tells us that Peter, James, and John actually fell asleep, and they woke up with Jesus and Moses and Elijah talking, and they were having a conversation about Jesus' upcoming death and resurrection. So if you had in mind at all that this was a quick trip up the mountain, let me show you who I am and we'll come back down. That's not what happened. They had time to take a nap, okay? But even more important, knowing this detail from Luke, we see that when Peter wakes up and he hears them talking, he doesn't even take the time to listen because he doesn't even respond in a way that is, you know, goes along in sync with their conversation. He's talking about making 
Jesus a dwelling on earth when Jesus is talking about resurrecting and departing the earth, right? So in all their self-focus, they miss the glory. Now, we already discussed this, but let me remind you. Jesus' face shining like the sun and his white garments revealed that he's not a man like maybe they had thought him to be. He is God. And these Jewish boys had grown up all their lives believing there's only one God. But they had also grown up in a culture that elevated people like Moses and Elijah, especially Moses and Elijah, to God-like status. So when they see Jesus, Moses, and Elijah all there together, Peter's response of wanting to build a tabernacle for each one of them really reveals how he missed it. Because the tabernacle in the Old Testament was the place where God's glory dwelt. Okay? So Peter is essentially mixing what he sees in front of him with what some of his cultural traditions and his cultural ideas about Moses and Elijah had been. When he offers to make them a tabernacle, he's basically saying, I see that you are all divine. He's putting Jesus, who is God, in the same category as Moses and Elijah. No, 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 no. That is not the way it is. So talk about a response. You know how God responds to that? You know how God, what God thinks about Peter's suggestions? In his mercy, he just interrupted Peter, <laughs> okay? Uh, right here in verse 5, it says, While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud saying, This, and he pointed to Jesus, I believe, is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Not him, not him, but him. This is him. This is Jesus. God interrupted Peter's idea. And many times, God needs to interrupt the, the things that we get in our head about Jesus and tell us the truth. Tell us the truth. So their first response was off for several reasons. So self-focused. But what about a second response? I would call this one a fear-focused response. Read verse 6 with me. And when the disciples heard this, meaning God's voice booming from heaven, it says they fell on their faces and they were much afraid. Now, I don't understand everything that happened here, but it sounds like God got their attention, right? And he just electrified this moment and he spoke very loudly. So whatever they missed before, they saw it now, right? And what was their response? fell on their faces, which is good, but the text tells us it was because they were afraid. It wasn't worship necessarily, it was fear. It was, let me hide from this, let me get away from this, I don't know what to do with this. Jesus did not reveal himself to produce fear, not at all. How do we know that? Because listen to what he says in verse 7. He says, arise and do not be afraid. So let's look at their third response, which I would call a Jesus-focused response. Verse 8, it says, And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. Now it doesn't say that Elijah and Moses were not there. It just says they only saw Jesus, just Jesus alone. And ladies, that's the right response when Jesus reveals his glory. Other things are going to be around, right? There's going to be other stuff in our lives. 
But if Jesus is there, then we should put our focus on him. They paused. They didn't say anything this time. They just looked at Jesus. They stood in awe. They stood in wonder. And they gave Jesus their full attention that they might truly see who he is. His glory filled up the space and their eyes saw only him. On that day, I believe Jesus wanted these three who were so close, these three who had said yes, to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is God. They missed him at first, focused on themselves, focused on their desires, their culture, the, the religious traditions of the day. They totally missed the gospel that Jesus was talking about with Moses and Elijah. And we do the same thing. We tend to miss him when we're always prone to making it about us or cowering in fear. But when God steps in and he spoke and he cleared up the vision, they, they, they didn't miss it anymore. They saw Jesus full of light and he told them, look at me. He wanted them to rise up and see him. You know, on the day when I get to heaven, I wanna sit down with Moses and Elijah with Peter, James, John, I want to find out more about went on in what went on in this moment. And, and I would love in that conversation with Moses and Elijah, especially to, to know what were they thinking? Because you know, they also had some moments when they missed it, right? When they didn't see what God was wanting them to see. And so I would love to know what they were thinking in that, in that moment. You know, you've missed it and I've missed it. We've all missed seeing Jesus at times. But God has mercifully given us this weekend to draw us away from the things that distract us and to give us a view of himself. We need to see his glory. John Piper also said this, when we see his glory, it is the healing of our disordered lives. It is the healing of our disordered lives. I look all around me often, yes, in the world, but also in the church, and I just see so often our lives are so disordered. We're gasping to see the glory of God. Did you know you were created for that? You were created for God's glory. Isaiah 43, 7 tells us we were created for the glory of God. That means a whole lot of things. And we're not going to preach all that tonight. But one of the things it means is that we were created to know him, to know his glory, to know what he's like, to be personally acquainted with God, to enjoy and find pleasure and satisfaction and life in the excellency of who he is. Earlier tonight, I shared with you that in recent years, I believe the church as a whole has missed the glory of Jesus. Just like Romans 1.23 says, we have exchanged the glory of God for a lie. And I believe in our culture, in our season of life, in this day, that lie is self-focused. We have literally missed the glory of Jesus because we are looking at ourselves way too much. And that's not anything new. It was happening on the mountain that day. It's the nature of man to always bring it back to us. Me too. We all do it. But can I just tell you, you need more than you. We need more than ourselves. So much more. Because even in the greatest of people, we won't find the fullness of God's glory that we were created for. We need his glory. I, I don't care how much you've experienced of him. There's more for all of us to see. The Bible actually says the world isn't big enough 
to contain the volumes of books necessary to describe Jesus' glory. Think about that. Think about that truth, the distinction of that. Think how big the world is. The world isn't big enough to hold the books to describe the glory of Jesus. So we can take an eternity, an eternity, to spend an eternity to take him in. Not just the facts about him, but the person of him. And the beautiful thing is when we do, our souls are going to be satisfied in him. Because we were created by him and for him to be in him. My prayer is that right here tonight, ladies, as we begin this special weekend, you're going to decide. We each one have to do it on our own. I want to see more. And you'll draw close. And you'll say yes. And you'll take your eyes off yourself. And you'll pause in the face of Christ and quiet your heart and allow your eyes to be drawn in. More, oh Jesus, show us more. Let us come up on the mountain with you, right? And see your glory. And I believe this revelation, even tonight, of his glory is an invitation to us. It's an invitation to us. And we've talked about how glory draws out a response, right? That's what glory does. When you see it, it draws out a response. So we're going to give you a moment to respond. Before we're up and talking and doing all these things, we want to respond. And throughout the weekend, we're going to be using these journals to respond to Jesus. You've already copied some scripture in them tonight. And we're going to do that more in the days to come. But right underneath where you copied those scriptures, I just want to encourage you to write out a prayer of response to Jesus. In regard to what we've talked about, what we've seen in him tonight. We actually, in the front of that journal, there's a page of some prayer prompts. If you're not sure how to even get that prayer started, maybe one of those will help you. They come from various places, just little starters of prayer to get your heart in response. But just take a moment as Rebecca plays. And then I'm going to lead us in a collective prayer together. Thank you. 
Jesus, we just ask tonight, Lord, that you would hear our prayer, that you would hear us saying yes, that you would see us drawing close, Lord, and that you would pick us. We want you to take us away with you this weekend to reveal the radiance of God's glory to us in yourself. We want to see you. We confess, Jesus, that all too often we have exchanged your glory for the lie of self-focus, other things that hold more, we think. God, we ask tonight that you would forgive us, and we know that you are merciful to do so. And that's even just more of your glory. God, forgive the wandering of our affections and the undue attention we give to lesser things. Forgive our distractions, God, that have taken our energy away from you and your glory and wasted it on so many things that cannot satisfy. Remove the lopsided and the distorted images of your son that weaken our worship and lame our drawing near. Jesus, you once prayed that we would know your glory. You want us to see you. That's incredible even in and of itself. You want to show us the radiance of who you are. So God, we say bring it this weekend. Show us, Jesus. Put it on display in front of us. The truth of who you are with so much distinction. We're drawing close. We want to be deeply impacted. We don't want to miss a thing. Open our eyes to see your excellency. Show us yourself. Oh, Jesus, show us yourself.